This week on the Recruitment Flex, we're back from Unleash and we've got tons of industry news. Will ChatGPT replace humans? Well, half of the C-suite seems to think so. Also, are new hires getting paid more than existing employees? We share the data. And last, still having challenges hiring tech talent, you're not the only one. The Recruitment Flex starts right after this message from our friends at Rectex. Shelly, let's face it, texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And Mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, This is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. We're back from Las Vegas and Shelly, how are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling great, healthy, happy, and I think we brought the great weather back with us, hey? Yeah, I do think we Oh, it snowed the weekend before we left. And what do we come back to? Only in Calgary. Only in Calgary can you go from snow to plus 30 weather in one week. Sometimes in a day. Yeah, no, I'll take it. I'll take the nice weather. We've been back for around a week now. If we kind of look back at Unleash, Mm -hmm. what's your feeling? I'm feeling that we got a lot of opportunities to meet people that well, not only that we never otherwise would have met, but really develop some bonds and relationships. I think that's really one of the biggest benefits of being at events like this. I spent most of my time in the startup section, just talking to all the different startups. But boy, hiring branch, I just wanted to say, what an event. Loved their t-shirts. Talk about guts for a startup. Well, they, so what did their t-shirt say, Shelly? Fuck interviews. <laughs> <laughs> Even yeah, I can't CEO wait to get mine. A fuck interviews shirt. People were stopping them on the street going, hey, I love your shirt. <laughs> yeah, that event was a lot of fun. Obviously, on the big Ferris wheel, I'm not sure what you call it, but you can fit 25 the high roller. people. The high roller. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. You fit 25 people in there with alcohol. Talk about Lots of fun. It was great to spend some one-on-one time with some folks that we have never met face-to-face. And a couple of shout-outs, Joel and Chad from the Chad and Cheese show. They spent a lot of time with us and it was great to see them. Want to call out Chris Russell from RecTech. Awesome spending some time with him. Julie Kelly from RecruitmentMarketing.com. I do want to call out our friends at RecTech. It was great meeting Brad and James Whitlock at Candidate Hub. Yes. That was 
great to meet as well. Obviously, seeing Matt Alder from The Recruiting Future, which is like our podcast hero. If you haven't listened to that podcast, you should. It's been around forever. We also met our friends at JobSync, meeting Lex Kramer for the first time, Alex Murphy, and we can't forget our friends at Plum with Caitlin and Jason Putnam. Do you know who I think I really bonded with? And just so enjoyed getting to really know him was Ela from Van Hack. Yes. Um, yes. Oh my God, we had fun. He went to the talent talk with us and we were just like bombing around on the streets of Vegas. Just had a blast. We even bought one of those cakes from the vending machine. Oh, yeah, that was horrible. <laughs> yeah. There, there we are with three forks chowing down on a piece of cake from a vending machine. Oh my gosh, that's bonding. Hey, that was well, you guys bonded over red hot chili peppers. I've never heard so much detail on the whole life cycle of red hot chili peppers. So I learned a lot. And seeing you guys dance to this random guy playing an electric guitar on the strip for probably half an hour, you probably gave him like $200 in that time frame to play every song that you wanted. 20 bucks. My I think gosh. you give him more than that. It was fun. It really was fun. And we really did bond. And we've got some great memories. And Julie Callie, I tell you, we had so much fun. I don't think she stopped smiling for three days. Like she was <laughs> really happy to be there too. Oh, she was a riot. She was a lot of fun. Anything else from the show that stood up for you? Well, again, I spent most of my time in the startups and talking to what's coming, what's new. Some of them aren't really startups, like they've been in business, but maybe their first time at the show. And so the company that won the startup competition, which was 50,000 US dollars, they pitched to like just an incredible panel of judges. And it was a company called Hour One, Hour as in Time Clock, H O. I get it. Hour one. Well, I know, but I got to spell it out, Serge. And they're essentially training videos for global organizations using avatars, which interesting enough, the company that came in second at the startup pitch fest at HR Tech had the same sort of solution using avatars and virtual people to deliver training but content coming from your subject matter experts inside your organization. Interesting that this type of technology seems to be very appealing to HR. Yeah, I'll tell you, like, I I didn't see our one, but all the other ones weren't really that good. There wasn't really a real problem they were solving. So I I was disappointed by the startups in the competition anyways. Mm. If you go around the room, there was other startups that was quite impressive, but the competition kind of let me down. Yeah, you're right. Because Plum was in the startup section. So was Rectext. So was Hiring Branch. And they're solving some real problems. For sure. And I think we're partial though, because those are all technologies for talent acquisition, right? We're not so jazzed about HR or talent management type solutions because we don't live in that world. Yeah. The other thing they have in common is they're Canadian. The majority of what we just mentioned. Plum, Rectex, Candidate Hub. Yes. Yes. Iron Uh, Branch. Branch. Mm -hmm. All Canadian. All really good technology. I'm really excited what's happening here in Canada when it comes to the HR tech space. So 
kudos to everyone was at the show. Oh, one last call out. So Tatio Maya Huber, who we've yes. had on the show, she invited us to another great party. event. We squeezed in a lot of people. The who's who was at that party. So congrats to you, Tatio. Yeah. And thank you, Maya, for the invite, because that was first class at the Venetian. Nice exactly. hotel. Wow. Do you want to jump into the tip of the week, Shelley? Yes, the tip of the week. And I'll stop. <laughs> Please. You're so weird. Really fitting because I was so impressed by Rectex and they've got a new feature. Audience, if you've not seen it, just get a demo and take a look at what they've just added to their texting communication platform. It was pretty impressive. I thought it would be very fitting to give the audience two things to remember when you're texting candidates. One of the rules is this. You're not friends, so don't text people like you're friends. Avoid things like being sarcastic or emojis and shit like that. Just keep it professional, keep it short. The other thing is you are setting the tone for the pace of response. If you're going to text a candidate and you're expecting somebody to respond in minutes, then you better keep pace with that going forward. You're setting the ground rules early. So that's the tip of the week. Really good tip. So there's actually eight different rules that Tim Sackett has put in an article. Actually, I think it was released in September last year, but it's still highly relevant. Do go check that out. So the rumor at the show was that Greenhouse, one of our favorite ATS, laid off 12% of its staff. We have no confirmation. We peddle rumors here. I think it's true. I came from a pretty reliable source, uh, I dare say. Yeah. The other rumor, and honestly, I don't know a whole lot about JobCase being in Canada. They're definitely not present here. But JobCase had a pretty big boot. And having discussion with them, I, I think it was full of shit what they were saying. Like they were saying they had 125 million active users and they were growing. Well, the news before the show was they laid off fairly significant amount of people as well. But a little bit of good news. Our friends at Smart Recruiters, you know, I'm a big fan of Smart Recruiters. They named a new CEO and his name is Michael Simone. I hope I said that Mr. right. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. That's did you meet him? I, I saw him and I wanted to go meet him and then I just lost him. Did you get a chance? No, I did not. I know he was set to be at the show on Thursday, but I imagine in pretty high demand. Do you know if he's from industry or not? Where did he come from prior? Do you know much about him? I know nothing about him. Oh, okay. I heard rumors no. that he's not from industry. I heard exactly the same thing. He's probably coming from the venture capitalist or the equity firm that owns smart recruiters. Let let me confirm, but let's just let's just yeah. peddle rumors all day. Yeah. Oh, okay. Are you surprised by more layoffs in this space? No, not at all. Not at all. We talked about that. And I know we've got that coming up in some of the interviews we did with people as far as is there nervousness? Is there a slowdown? I know you and I don't necessarily agree. I think a lot of companies bought last year that were going to buy or had on their map to buy. And this year does seem slower only because the buying decisions were made last year and it's implementation year. 
Yeah, I, I don't know if that, I agree with that. That's, but that's my thought process. Let's go with that, Shelly. Okay. okay. So in other news here in Canada, there's been a strike with around 150,000 government workers. They walked off the job demanding higher wages and universal work from home policies. That's an interesting demand. It's a very interesting demand. Mona Fortier is the president of the Treasury Board, uh, which is the federal department negotiating with striking PSAC workers, said on the news that a telework policy would not be a part of the collective agreement, but within the purview of managers. It's a red line. It is the right of management, Fortier said. It's so important that we have the flexibility for managers to see how we are going to best deliver services. If you talk to the union, they're like, no, everyone's life is going to be dictated to that particular manager. That's a non-starter for us as well. So interesting, that is the key component of this collective agreement. Obviously, money is going to be a factor, but I think they're really sticking their guns on both sides on this. Is this an omen? Is this something that's going to become the norm? Obviously. They are trailblazing or they're setting the pace for this, I believe. And I am not often going to say anything positive about organized labor, especially for white collar, because that is what this is. These are federal government employees that can work from home because they're office jobs. And I absolutely agree for once with the union that this is not something that you want to leave to managers. I've got some friends that actually work for the federal government And most of those managers are absolute fuck-ups. They have no idea how to manage people. And that's why they need a collective agreement, because they absolutely would micromanage you, work you to the minute, monitor you. And I'm glad the union is doing something of value to their people, because I think it was really badly managed for the most part. What do you think is the perspective of the public? The majority of the public is being forced to go back in the office and then seeing government workers having the ability to universally work from home. That's a really tricky line to walk for the federal government, correct? Do you know, the people that want to work for the government are very different people than those that would want to work in the corporate world. It's like trying to compare postal workers with startup tech firms. It's apples and oranges, man. I don't think it's going to create resentment at all. In fact, I think it's more cost effective. They don't need to be leasing these big ass buildings in downtown areas of the city. And the building maintenance alone, all of that is taxpayer money. So if people can safely work from home and securely work from home, Oh my God, the cost savings to the taxpayers, I can't see anybody opposing it. Yeah. All right, let's jump into the recruitment insight. And I found a real interesting article that was surveyed to a thousand business decision makers by an organization called YouGov. And what they found was that 44% of C-suite executives think AI could perform tasks to a similar or better quality than humans. I guess we've all been worried about technology replacing jobs. And Mark Coleman mentioned in the podcast we just released this week that, yes, there is a lot of jobs that are going to be lost by AI. It's just natural. 
It's going to create a ton of jobs. I guess the question, is there going to be a mismatch? So the people losing their jobs and the people gaining jobs are going to be different people in most cases. So what is going to happen in that case? And they put an example here. The legal profession needs to develop new skills, for instance, to make best use of legal technologies, but solicitors will continue to need soft skills that AI will not be capable of automating. And I'll give you a perfect example of that. Generally, anytime that I need a new contract on my day job, we went to the lawyer, right? Well, the last contract that I wrote was completely chat GPT. And then we got someone to verify it just to make sure it actually met the laws. But there was almost no changes after verifying it. Are you scared, Shelly, that AI, knowing how fast the pace is right now, is this going to cause a new world order of winners and losers when it comes to the world of work? I don't think so, Serge. What gave me confidence, and if our audience has not listened to our practitioner episode with KPMG, there's an organization who gets it. Are they future-proofing their workforce? Yeah, they are. It just means, especially if you're looking at campus, who you're selecting, then layer on something like a plum assessment that talks about what you're going to be good at, naturally good at, where you're working in the zone most of the time. And when you've got organizations like a KPMG, who's just pace setting for how to do this. I find it really exciting. So Shelly, I think you're being way too altruistic in this sense. So yes, KPMG is the exception. There's an article from IBM today thinking that AI will replace a lot of the roles they will be hiring for. And that's up to 8,700 roles that would have been new hires. We are going to see an impact that most companies are not structured or can move quickly enough as they're replacing jobs. It doesn't mean that they are going to cross-train people to go in another part of their business. And in reality, to think that's even possible in a large scale is highly ambitious for most organizations. Obviously, the good thing about AI is going to make this a lot faster. We're going to have no choice. When the pandemic hit, we had to move to work from home. A lot of things that we didn't think we could do quickly, we ended up having to. But I think there's just way too much complexity and too much going on to a business for them to be able to, okay, we don't need these roles anymore. We're just going to cross-train everyone into another part of our business. It's not going to happen, Shelly, at least not in the short term. You're right. And companies who dig in their heels and say, we just can't because our workforce is too big. You know, we I don't can't think it's do digging this. your heels, Shelly. Oh, it is. It is. If you're not paying attention, like, do you really have a viable business? Look at KPMG. The threat has always been there that technology would make bookkeepers obsolete. Just the opposite has happened. One of the highest demand skills is bookkeepers. Why? Not because they're doing the data entry, but they're understanding the implications of how your books are set up. So it's more interesting work for them. I don't know a single bookkeeper that likes to be data entering all my receipts. Seriously. I know exactly what you mean. We know the pace of business. We know certain things when it comes to change. It's extremely challenging. This is a restructure of the workforce. So yes, will some come out as really strong winners? Yes. I just think the majority is going to struggle. And where I'm concerned is the time that it takes to figure it out. There's going to be a huge migration of talent. 
I guess we'll yeah, see where it goes. Accelerating. Yeah, I would say exactly. it's really accelerating. Yeah, for but sure. Like the core of this article is that almost half of C-suite executives think that AI can do a better job than their employees. It's a little bit concerning that executives are thinking that way, don't you think? It depends what the industry is, honestly. If half of those industries have really mundane, boring work, then bring it on. Let AI do all the crappy work. Nobody wants to do that. So let's move on to another great article that we found that I want to talk about. And something that I think through my entire recruiting career has been, if you want to raise, you need to quit. And you need to go work somewhere else. And so the research is in, it's proven. It is absolutely proven that job switching absolutely leads to higher wages. And this study took a look at employees that were hired in the last 12 months had earned as much as employees who had been with the company for 10 years. There's definitive proof. You absolutely do need to change jobs if you want to get a raise. Yeah, and the study clearly shows that. But I think there is some part of the sector that's not the reality. And if you look at how they segmented this, basically 75K or less is really the area that there's not a lot of advantage of changing jobs when it comes to how much money right, you yeah. make. But for higher paying roles, so say roles that are over 125K, makes a big difference, makes a massive difference to your point. And I was in recruitment 2020, 2021, and I saw it firsthand that new employees coming in the company were making more money than employees that were both at higher roles and with more experience. And how do you manage that? And your initial gut instinct is, well, let's just increase everyone's salary but I do feel for business owners because this could mean millions, if not billions of dollars to bring everyone to the same level. And I think we all agree that's what you need to do. But will the board accept that? Will it make you go bankrupt? Yeah. I'm not an accountant, but I do understand how those numbers will work. A very wise man said once, salary increases are forever. So companies do need to find and think about different ways to reward people because there's different reasons that somebody stays 10 years with the same company, right? What's valuable to you, where you are in life. And I also believe that this ties in beautifully to actually the next thing that I wanted to bring up in our recruitment insights. And that is people who change jobs more often. They do bring new ideas, fresh perspective, and it's actually healthier to have that in an organization. There was a viral job posting that went out. It was started on TikTok. And it was a job post that was demanding candidates have no more than three jobs in the last 10 years. Very short-sighted because much like those people who do change jobs more frequently, I don't know about you, Serge, but certainly as a practitioner, as a recruiter, I want to know why. Same thing with gaps on a resume. Unless, of course, like you're going to ignore that there was a pandemic. <laughs> like a lot of people got laid off. A lot of people paused. A lot of people had no option but to stay at home and look after 
little ones or other people that were sick. Most hiring managers are coming from a different generation as far as you stayed at a company for a long time or you only switch companies maybe once or twice in your career. That's no longer reality. And a lot of it is for the reason that you just mentioned. A ton of people got laid off during the pandemic. Just look, even now we're past the pandemic. We are in 2023 and look at all the layoffs in the tech space. Did these people have a choice? Were they good employees? When you're shrinking 20 to 30% of your workforce, I'm sure a lot of good people lost their job. Also, I think this is what happened. There was a lot of catfishing with companies as well, especially in a very aggressive hiring market in the last couple of years that they're promising things to job seekers. The job seeker comes into the company and it's complete bullshit, right? And they're like, yeah, screw this. I have tons of other options. I'm going to last here three months and I'm going to go to the next job that's actually a better fit. And I think that happens a whole lot. And depending on where your career, you can add a lot of value to a company for a couple of years on both sides and then just move on. Like say you work a lot with startups, it's getting them started. And when it's established, you want to go work at another startup. It's really an issue with employers that they're going to stick by this because To your point earlier, new people coming in organizations, if they are moving every couple of years, again, if you have a history that you've changed jobs every three months for the last like three years, yeah, red flag. Yeah, Yeah, I think you got to be careful. But someone is two to three years and going from company to company and learning new skills, man, don't you want those skills in your organization? There's not only the breadth, there's the depth of what that person brings compared to an employee that's been there 15, 20 years has seen nothing else. And they really get stuck in, we've done it like this forever. We're not going to change this with companies. What's going to happen is the market is just going to force it because the whole labor force is going to be two to three years at companies. So let me ask you this. Is it even legal? to put a requirement on a job ad that says no more than three jobs in 10 years? Is it not just outright bias? I've never thought of that, Shelley. I have no clue. I don't think so. There's a bias, but it's not. I've never heard of it. And that's why it went viral is because to actually put that in a job ad, demanding candidates have no more than three jobs in 10 years. I don't know. It does seem very biased, doesn't it? It does seem very biased. And it's just not realistic in this current market as well. We will see if this becomes something we see more, but I doubt it. I think this is just an old relic that's trying to hire the same way that he's always hired. This is the same person that would say loyalty is the most important thing. But when times are a little tough... Who lays off these same folks? I don't take any credence to it. I think it's full of shit. I do want to move into another topic that I'm very interested in because I've been getting these questions as well. Why is it still really hard to hire tech talent? Everything that we've seen in the news is every layoff, and I know there's exception, has been coming from tech companies, right? It gets a lot of news because it's so uncommon. Throughout our histories, tech companies have not been known to lay off. It's been like a rocket ship to the sky and keep hiring people, keep hiring. And obviously the pandemic really kind of changed that in a way that a lot of companies being like, 
everything's going digital, all the tools, everything we do, everyone's going to work from home. We're just going to hire a ton of talent. And then obviously they hired too much. Then reality to business really came in. To answer the question of like, why is it still hard to hire tech talent? There's a couple of things this article points out. If you look at it, there was around 3,000 tech layoffs over the last 12 months. And who actually got laid off? And I can tell you the majority of those are not actual pure tech roles. No one is laying off their PhD in AI. No one's laying off their data scientists. No one's laying off their really good software developer. And to give you an example, Google laid off 1,800 people in total. 30 of them were massage therapists. I know that's not a big number, but it gives you an idea of what type of roles were being laid off. And obviously in this space, ton of recruiters got laid off, a ton of admin got laid off, HR, but not a lot of people in pure tech roles actually did get laid off. The other point, Shelly, before I ask you, and I completely agree with this, the tech talent that did get laid off, they actually never really showed up in the unemployment numbers because they're getting a job Within 30 days, if you are not on top of those candidates that got laid off, they're getting tens, if not hundreds of offers. So if your CEO or your executives are asking like, why can't I get tech talent? They should be tons out there. Actually, there's not really. Thoughts, Shelley? No, I love that you pointed out the fact that these people, they've got another job and they never even filed for unemployment. So they're not being tracked which is completely in line with what Andrew Flower said when he was on the show with us is you got to realize here that even with these tech layoffs and they may have let go, maybe they're intermediate or they're junior developers. But the fact is if you even spent two years at Google and you put your resume out to three or four firms, you're going to get offers. I don't know about hundreds, but you will get offers. You're not unemployed for very long. This just validates that the people laid off and who was laid off in the organization is going to be what is non-revenue producing roles. If I have Google in my resume and I would put out on LinkedIn, I'm looking for a software development role. I guarantee you there's a lot of recruiters that would be salivating. I really have empathy for those smaller organizations that are trying to hire that tech talent at a high level. Still really, really challenging for them. But if they work for a fan company, like the top five tech companies, they might be looking for something different. They might be looking for that startup. And this is where employment brand really kicks in. So true. Thank you for pointing that out. And that's where some of the great tech firms of tomorrow are going to be. Because you may have been at one of the big five, but also realize that you're quite restricted when you're at such a big firm. You may have great knowledge, but it's very narrow. The other factor, and which we've seen a lot in the last six months, they're starting their own company. Listening to another podcast that's in that space, they're talking about they've never seen as many pitch decks from people that actually build stuff, not a sales guy, like really smart people coming from those companies and being like, hey, I got laid off. You're sick of your job. Let's start a company. Let's build something new. And if we look at history, any downturn in the market is when the best companies actually sprout out from. So I think we're going to see that. I, I know we disagree what the economy is going to look like in the next couple of years, but I think we can all agree that, yeah, there's definitely a changing in the dynamics and people getting laid off. 
I think for those people, a lot of them have decided I'm going to do my own thing. A lot of investors are willing to give them money based on that pedigree as well to start their own company. Yet out of the same breath, I know we do criticize startups when the founder is just somebody who had a hard time finding a job and decided they're going to start up a recruitment app that is going to fix it, yet they've never worked in recruitment. If you can get the right people together, joining forces, somebody who understands the problem, and then somebody who builds stuff to fix problems, that's brilliant. That is, is. That's exciting. That is when great companies are born. Exactly. Fantastic episode, Shelley. The one thing we did forget to mention, we forgot to mention. So the Canadian Recruiter Networking Group is meeting next week in Calgary. Shelley, what's the date and time again? Do you have it handy? So it's right after work and it is May 11th. That's a Thursday night. So Thursday, May 11th. And it is sold out, but you can get on the wait list. It's actually oversold. But what I find is usually people don't show. So I think Will has kind of factored that in there. You can't buy tickets anymore, but you can get yeah, on the wait You're going to hear Shelly talk about how you can leverage chat GPT in recruitment. So I'm excited. Yes. I think for once, I'm hoping you can teach me something, Shelly, for just one time. Well, I doubt it. I doubt <laughs> it. Anyways, it's not a sales pitch. It's just gathering some knowledge and sharing knowledge around how ChatGPT can actually make us better recruiters. Perfect. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. Have a great weekend and week. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.